My friends, I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. I am so happy that you're here, and I believe that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there will be things spoken and said from the Word of God that will be the spiritual food that you are looking for. Praise God. Now today, we're going to begin in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want to look at just a couple of verses, and we're going to receive the holy tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the house of the Lord. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So we're looking at an aspect of the grace of God. And so often when we think about God's grace, we think about the forgiveness of sins. We think about salvation. We think about the goodness of God, the love of God. But this grace also can be manifested through giving and through receiving. And Paul says that he wanted to make known to them the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he is sharing this with the church there in Corinth. And he says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So that is an amazing aspect of grace, that grace can help you walk out of lack, of poverty, of financial hardship. And in the natural, what a person does is when there is a financial test or difficulty is they pull back, they conserve, and they hold on to the little remaining that they have. But God's grace can come, and it is supernatural, just as supernatural as salvation is. We're saved by grace through faith, but in the same saving way, God's grace can come and help you walk out of any financial dilemma. How did it work for the church in Macedonia? The grace of God came to them in their financial poverty, and it quickened them. It inspired them to do what? To hold back? No, to give. Wow. It's a spiritual principle that does not make sense on paper, but it works when it's applied, which is this. You give your way out of lack. If you want to come out of lack or poverty, you give your way out of it because you're sowing seed. And then God can multiply your seed, give you a harvest, and you start climbing. You start walking out of that difficult spot financially. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. See, if you just keep feeding somebody over and over a handout, a handout, you enslave them to becoming reliant upon the person that's giving them the handout. But what we want to do is help those who would be in need, but also teach them biblical principles so that their need is eliminated. They are brought to a place of maturity where their needs are met and they have extra. And now the person that was once in need can be a blessing now to others. Well, Pastor Stephen, how, do, how does a person come into that? By giving, by giving, praise the Lord. And then we have one of the most amazing verses in Scripture 
in verse 9. Now, I, I want to share something before I read this verse to you. You have to understand the context of chapter 8 and chapter 9. These are two chapters devoted to the subject of offerings and giving and what is pleasing in the eyes of God concerning a good offering. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I'm about to read something in verse 9 that deals with God's grace. And automatically, some Christians, evangelicals, they instantly think, oh, that's the grace that deals with salvation. Well, let's see what it says in context. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Well, those that do not understand God's covenant plan for your finances, which is a good plan, they tried to spiritualize everything. I'm talking about those in the church that wouldn't understand. And they say, well, that's referring to being spiritually rich. But it can't be, because if you try to make that application, you're taking the statement now out of context. And Paul is talking about offerings, giving, and receiving. He's talking about the gracious giving of the Macedonian church, even when they're in poverty, and how God brought them out of that place of financial difficulty. Wow. So we have to keep it in the right context. For you know the grace. This is actually a grace of giving. And as well, there is also a grace of receiving. But it begins with giving, the grace of giving. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, well, we can say in a sense that when He left heaven, He left a place of splendor, of streets that are made of pure gold, mansions, and, you know, we have gates that are made of solid pearls, and we have diamonds, and we have things of great wealth and splendor that are in many ways beyond comprehension. So he left that. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. When did he become poor? How? Where? What was going on with his becoming poor? On the cross. In some ways, you could say just by leaving heaven, he became poor. But he actually, when he was on the cross... He took all of our sins upon Himself. We agree with that. Any good evangelical Protestant Christian, anybody, Catholic, anybody in the Christian faith is going to agree with that. While Christ was on the cross, He took all of our sins upon Him. But you have to understand, there was more to it than that. He took the full curse of the law upon Himself. Everybody that's ever broken the law, the Ten Commandments, and the subcommandments, six, all 613 of them, every broken promise, every wrong thing done or thought, every wrong action, wrong deed, all of that came upon the Lord Jesus. The full curse that we deserved came upon Him. But in, in the curse, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 14 and onward, you read about, about the devastating effects of the curse, the consequences of not keeping God's law. And if you break the law, this would be those curses. Well, poverty was a big one, and the awful effects of poverty and the degradation of what it does to people. Poverty is such 
a dirty thing. It is such a destroyer of grace and beauty. So you have to understand that when Jesus was on the cross, he became poor. So the curse of sin, yes, and the curse of poverty, absolutely. It all came upon Jesus. Why? Why did he bear it for us? So that we could be free. And even in a financial context, it says that yet for your sakes, that would be you and I, he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. What does it mean to be rich? It means to have a full supply and have extra so that you can be a blessing to others as well. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you through his poverty, he became poor on the cross, that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, Pastor Stephen, that seems a little bit conditional, might become rich. Yes, if you believe it and you receive it, but for those that doubt it, those that say, oh, that's just being spiritually rich. Well, my friends, you have to understand that the salvation that was purchased for us was a full salvation that covered every aspect of our human lives, not only the world to come, but the life that we have to live while we're on the planet. And that included everything that you need for your financial stability and your financial well-being. He became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I encourage you today to let your life harmonize with the scriptures. I encourage you today to let your life harmonize with God's financial plan for you, which is what? That he might make you rich. Praise the Lord that he might make you rich. I know that makes some Christians very, very nervous. They, uh, they have been taught a lot of religious indoctrination, not biblical indoctrination, but mindsets of men, ideas and theories of men that perhaps loved the Lord greatly, but didn't get it right with the scriptures. So we are going to stick with the word. And we see here that Christ went to Calvary for us. He died for us. He released grace towards us so that we can become rich. Woo. Praise the Lord. Think about that full supply. Everything covered, every need met, and having extra so that you can be the blessing that God wants you to be. Always having the ability to sow a seed, a financial seed. Praise the Lord. Now, as you bring your tithes and offerings today into the storehouse of God, let that be the cry of your heart. Lord, let your will be done in my life. Lord, you became poor so that I could become rich. Lord, let this scripture manifest in my life as I believe it. Praise God. Now take a hold of it now. In Jesus' name, I see God making you rich for His glory. For His glory. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, bless your people as they're honoring you right now with their tithes and offerings. Bless them as they're sowing. Thank you, Father God. Make them rich, a full supply. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Praise the Lord. Now, those of you that prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28654. If you prefer to bring your tithes and offerings in online, please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage that says give, and it has a red heart on it, and you can click that tab, click that link, and it will take you to a site where your giving is safe, encrypted, and secure, and it comes right into the storehouse of God. It comes right into the ministry so that we can continue to preach and teach the good news of God's Word all around the world. Praise God. By the way, what's good news to a poor man? First of all, that Christ died for you for the full redemption of your sins so that you can have your life made right with God. That's great news, eternal life through Christ and deliverance from the dominion of darkness. But also because salvation is a complete plan, it also is good news from the poor man that you don't have to remain poor, that there's a blessing in not only was there one in the old covenant, but there is a blessing in the new covenant for those who are in Christ, which is that. Through his poverty, we might become rich. So I tell you what, you start getting the word into you. Your situation will swiftly begin to turn around concerning your finances. Praise the Lord. The word of God is the wisdom of God. And as that wisdom comes into your mind, comes into your way of thinking, and forms the way that you think to be in agreement with God's Word, you'll start making such good decisions over and over again, and there will be swift healing in your finances. Praise God for what He's doing. And thank you for your giving as we roll into a new and glorious year in which I see God making you rich. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Now, let's take our Bibles and jump into today's message, which is found in Isaiah chapter 54. Now, I shared just a few nights ago the prophetic word of the Lord, which is based out of Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 3, the taking away of barrenness, the removing of barrenness. But I want us to look today at verses 2 and 3. Because this is what you're going into in this new year. But as you go into verses 2 and 3, and as you step forward into this new year, there is something that must be highly operative in your life. It's not optional. As you move into this, you're going to see that you'll have to even get better at this. We're going to talk about it today. And so let's open up with prayer. Father, as we jump into today's sermon, we ask that your word would find good soil in our hearts, that we can take this message and apply it to our lives today. Now, Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name for the life-transforming power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And what I like about God's word is that when we practice it, it produces Peace, such beautiful peace in our lives. Okay, so are you ready for verse 2? Here it is. Enlarge the place of your tent. And we all like that, that God is going to enlarge every aspect of your life. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, 
Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Now, with this expansion, which is going to be both spiritual and natural, because by the end of this year, your walk with the Lord is going to have gone to a totally new level. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. God's doing an amazing work. He is putting you on the prophetic fast track this year. And you're already you're already moving on it. So you have to you have to be very well sharp in this area of increase with this one thing that we're going to talk about today. Now, having given you a little glimpse of what you're going to get into this year, with, which is this increase, this expansion on all sides, this enlargement. Woo! Praise God. You must have this special thing going on in your life. And I found what to me is one of the most beautiful examples of it in the book of second Chronicles chapter eight. And I would like for you to turn there now with me and see it with your own eyes, because this scripture is going to be a scripture that you're going to work a lot this year, just like a tool, just like a screwdriver, something that you could use to fix all kinds of things. This scripture will be well, um, Worked in your hand. Praise God. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 16. Now, all the work, not some of it, all of it, all the work of Solomon. Now, we know that Solomon is the king of Israel, the son of David, who was the former king. And Solomon is known for his tremendous wisdom and very broad. Uh, level of wisdom, uh, just what we would call knowledge and understanding that was uh, very, very vast. He had incredible knowledge. Now, all the work of Solomon was, here it is, well-ordered. Please say it with me today. Say, well-ordered. Now, all the work of Solomon was well-ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. When you go to Jerusalem and you take the tour, it's a small group tour that allows you to go beneath the area of the Temple Mount. And as you go down into history and down into maybe in some ways the belly of Mount Moriah, as you go down and down and down, you see the stones of the Western Wall, and much of that, of course, was built during the Herodian era. But as you go down further and further, you'll get to the very spot where Solomon, his workers, had placed the biggest stones for building up that area. So you're going back really to the First Temple period, going back long time back in history. And you see the tremendous order and the structure to build something like that and to build upon that. Well, concerning not just the Western Wall, which really wasn't ever considered part of the temple structure, just a retaining wall, basically. But up on top, on the Temple Mount, all the work of Solomon was well ordered, everything about it, from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was 
finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Now, you're not going to be able to complete the assignments and the projects that God has waiting for you this year without a good sense of order in your life. It's this order that qualifies you to be a finisher. See, Solomon built the temple, the most beautiful structure on the entire planet. It was the wonder of the world. And people came from all over the world to see the temple and to hear the wisdom of the man who built it. But one of the reasons that he finished it was because of the tremendous planning that went into it. And as it began to raise up and as it was erected, everything about it was well ordered from start to finish. And you have to understand a key principle here. It says that from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished, everything was well ordered. My friends, you are the temple of the living God. God lives on the inside of you. Well, Pastor Stephen, I was getting real excited about hearing about the temple. I, I like studying archaeology, and I like studying uh, the history of Israel, and I like hearing about all the chambers of the, of the temple. That's very exciting. Pastor Stephen, tell me more about the Ark of the Covenant and all of that. Well, that's all wonderful stuff. It, it's, it's beautiful. We need to study the temple so that we have a better understanding of Christ, His ministry. But you also have to see that the temple... While so many things in the temple were representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul said that God dwells inside of the believer. Mm -mm. So, with the temple of Solomon being well-ordered, and everything, even after it was built, it was well-ordered, the function of the priests, the function of the Levites, the way the singers were set up, and the way the musicians were set up, uh, the way the sacrifices were done, the way the, the water was brought into the temple. It was just extreme levels of order, and it had to be, because this temple was only going to get busier. Now, we know that temple was eventually destroyed. But another temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. And then later along comes King Herod, and he decides to uh, use the same foundation, just make it larger. And he builds a, a very grand temple himself. Doesn't have nearly the gold and some of the precious items the way Solomon was able to pour into it. But nevertheless, Herod built a great temple. But my friends, Josephus said that it was normal during the great feast, primarily the three big feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, for two million Jews to come as pilgrims to come up to Jerusalem on the feast days. That doesn't count the Jews that are already living in Jerusalem. So you've got an influx of two million pilgrims. How about this? Josephus said during one year, and by the way, Josephus was a Jewish historian he actually was from, a, uh, from the priestly tribe, but as far as we know, he never served in the, in the temple as a priest. But he was an eyewitness to all of these things during the ministry of Jesus, during that era of time. So Josephus said during one of the feasts, during one particular year, during one feast, 
2.7 million Jewish pilgrims came up to the temple. Woo. Oh, by the way, for those theories and, and crazy rumors that the temple was somehow in the old city of David, uh, that's, um, I don't want to really insult the authors that have written these silly books, but that's total baloney. There's no way the temple that Jesus went into, the temple of Herod, uh, nor the, the temple of Solomon ever, ever was in what's now known as the old city of David. Why? There's, there was no room for it. You've only got 14 acres there. You need something gigantic to put that temple on. Oh, so the only place is the Temple Mount. So you have to understand with all of these people coming in, there is a demand upon the services there. There is a demand upon uh, people wanting to worship God. And you know what? If you've got 2.7 million Jewish pilgrims, think about all of the livestock that they're bringing for sacrifices and for offerings. It's running into the millions. Where do you put all those animals? Extreme order. Where do you put all the, 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 the tithes and all the first fruit offerings? Where do you pull all of this stuff at? Extreme order. And yet at the same time with all of those animals there, how come you don't hear any noise of animals? Everything was so extremely well thought out. And, and remember, if you have 2.7 million Jewish pilgrims and they're bringing all of their, their animals for sacrifice, what are you going to do with all of that blood? How do you wash all of that blood away uh, when these offerings are being done? How do you get all of that water in? Because that's going to take tremendous amounts of water. And it did. And it was all being brought in from Jerusalem. Uh, high levels of aqueducts, uh, extreme underground networks of bringing that water in. And don't forget, the water must be living water. It has to flow. The, the water, in order for it to be brought into the temple, could never have a 90-degree turn in any pipe or any conduit that you're bringing it in on. So there were aqueducts that sometimes were 10 or 11 miles long, and they, they were very smooth flowing. And if there was a, a turn, it was a very soft, gentle curve. Why? It had to be living water, and it wasn't living if it was not flowing continually. If you ever took a couple of buckets and put it into that water, and you pull that water out in the buckets, uh, it's now no longer suitable for temple usage. My friends, we're talking about levels of order that were so highly structured that it took a lot of people to pull it off. And th that's why during the, the times of these special feast days, you would have thousands and thousands of priests there. Why? It's all hands on deck because you've got all the people there and all the sacrifices. Woo! Praise the Lord. So you're never going to be able to do what God has called you to accomplish if you do not have levels of order in your life that really start bumping up into the level of excellence. You're going to have to implement order in your life. Order, again, it qualifies you to be a finisher. Now, here's an example, unfortunately, of what can happen if you don't have order in your life, even if you have talent, even if you have beauty, even if you have something good going for you and you're the best at what you do. But if you don't have order, this is what perhaps could happen. The 1972 Olympics were held in Munich. You have two American men that are hidden shoulders above the rest of the competition. One of them who's ranked number one in the world 
he's actually the world record holder. And the person that's ranked second uh, is also uh, there. There are two Americans that are ranked first and second. And they're pretty much, uh, they're going to win the gold and silver medals. It's just a question of who's going to get the bronze medal, really. Well, there was a tragic mistake because their coach, he he was looking at the starting times of when the, the heats are because you, you go through some preliminary heats, you win your, your heat, and then you go into the finals. Well, the coach, he got the he got it out of order. He got something mixed up on the timing. And so what happened is, is that these two guys, these two American sprinters, they're sitting in like the ABC commentary booth on, you know, watching television and they're watching what is the start of the men's 100 meters. And they thought, well, that just must be like a replay of one of the previous preliminary heats that we've already cleared. And then somebody rushed into the room and said, no, that's the live event. You guys are supposed to be there right now. And so they, they ran, uh, you know, as quick as they could grabbed all their stuff and, uh, got to the track and got in and stuff like that. And they missed it. It was already over. They missed it. Why? Something was out of order with their timing, with the schedule. And instead, there was a Russian man that crossed the finish line first, and he won the gold medal. Well, would he have won if the other two guys were there? Yeah, probably not. Uh, he was a great athlete, but no, he just, just wasn't as fast as the other two guys. But here's the thing. If you don't show up, you can't win. And this thing of uh, not having good order. If, if, if you don't get that fixed, it can come back and bite you at the worst possible time. There are some times uh, when it's all on the line that you cannot afford to miss that. Why? You may never get another go at that again. Well, Pastor Stephen, you know, they have it every four years, you know, they could just show up. Yeah, that's, that's a long time. Four years is a long time, and you never know if you're going to have that same edge that you have uh, at that moment that you're in right now. So, you know, and things like that, while, yes, the coach made an error, you can't blame the coach. You're going to have to take responsibility for your own life. That means you look into it also. Get another pair of eyeballs on that. Okay, so we're sure this is the time. Okay, this is when we're leaving. This, this is when it's going on. Yes, get all of that ironed out. Praise the Lord. And I would encourage you, and I feel prophetically stirred to even tell you that concerning special events that you're supposed to be at or that you are, it's already in God's mix for you to be somewhere. Not only be there, how about this? Get there early. Mm -mm. When you get there early, then you're all relaxed and calm, and you don't leave an opportunity for something to go wrong that could go wrong at the last minute. And if you see people that continually show up late, I'm, I'm talking about Christians that love the Lord, that shout hallelujah, but yet for some reason they constantly show up late. What you're seeing really is an absence of well-defined order in their life. And that's something that needs to be tightened up and fixed because this year is going to go quick. And this year things are going to be expanding and they're going to be uh, enlarged. And if you have small levels of disorder right now or you have messes right now, then what will happen is when a greater demand 
comes upon your life and you go to the next level is that you'll see if you don't fix this, the small messes and the way that you're living by tolerating these things to be out of your order, even if they're on a small level, you'll go to the next level and now you're going to have a bigger mess. Oh, no, Pastor Stephen, I'll fix it when I get there. No, you're the same person when you get there as you were when you're at a different spot. It's just that you haven't fixed that. And if you haven't dealt with it, you're going to create a bigger situation that would be negative for you when you get there. So you have to have your life in order. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit wants to bring divine order into your life, just like there were high levels of excellent order within the Old Testament temple systems. Praise God. Extreme order. They had to have that because of all the activity, all the activity going on. Mm -hmm. Wow. Your life is going to have to reflect the same image. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What is order? Order is simply the proper arrangement of things. It doesn't matter what that thing is. It's the proper arrangement of it. And also order is a beautiful manifestation of wisdom. And again, Solomon was known for his wisdom, and it's not surprising to see that as that wisdom is displayed, you see tremendous levels of order. Praise God. Now, when your life is well-ordered, it makes your life smoother and more enjoyable. Praise God. Whether that's a trip and you, you plan the trip out, it's well-ordered, or whether it's some type of an event, and it's well-ordered, everything is already worked through, it makes everything more enjoyable, praise God. You know, when I was younger, and uh, in my, let's see, this would be er very early 20s, I remember as I began to volunteer for things in the church, that sometimes I would run late. And as I became more volunteered in the, the campus ministry there on campus, that what, what would happen, I remember one time I was supposed to be there to lead the youth group there at campus, and I'm one of the students, and I waited to the last minute to pick up uh, my friend and to go over there. And when I picked him up, I looked at my car uh, at the gas, and the gas was just right there on empty, and it ran out. I actually ran out of gas while we we're on the way. And my friend was saying, "Stephen, we're late." I said, "Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get some gas." So we ran out of gas right by a gas station. So we just pushed the car over and got some gas. But what what does that create? It creates unnecessary pressure. Uh, uh, for me and him, it created some unnecessary sweat. <laughs> and then you show up and you're supposed to lead, but you have to now get back into your zone, get back into your relaxed state. So you kind of, you know, you don't want to have to do that. You want to be able to walk in and go. Mm -mm. So what does that mean? It means planning. It means order. It means make sure that the night before the car has gas in it. It means that make sure the night before you, you're going to get up early and pray the next morning that your coffee maker already has the water in it. Have it filled up with water. Have your, your cake cup or whatever already sitting out. Have things ready. Have things ready. Mm -mm. Don't let things uh, come in there that will interrupt something that you're looking forward to and you're expecting, particularly at the last moment. Make your life as smooth as possible by implementing excellent levels of order. Praise God. Now, 
Why do we want order in our lives? You want order so that you can establish the atmosphere that you want in your life. And that is an atmosphere of peace. That is an atmosphere of calm. You never want chaos in your life. Because if there's chaos, it's never from God. It doesn't originate from God. So you don't want chaos. You want to have a beautiful atmosphere. And that's what comes out of having order. Praise God. You know, as an example, you can drive through a troubled city and notice that there are troubled areas in, you know, various cities and so forth. And you think, wow, there's a... Uh, this place is really run down. This place is a real mess. Oh, Pastor Stephen, it's like that because they don't have money. No, it's not a money issue. It's because they don't have any order. There's no order. And, and that's why, because there's no order, there's no money. And things are just crazy. Things are totally crazy. And you could drive through another city or go maybe to the other side of the city. And you see a beautiful subdivision. And you see that every lawn is mowed. You see that everything is neat. Everything is, is nice. Oh, well, Pastor Stephen, that's different. That's because those people, they, those people have money. No, it's not. It's because those people have order. They like order. They want to be in an atmosphere of order uh, or an atmosphere of peace. So they know that's created by order. And when you create that, that atmosphere, Praise the Lord. Then you're getting things in the right sequence of events. Now, let me say this. Slow everything down in your life to the speed of accurate decisions. I want to say it one more time. Slow everything down in your life to the speed of accurate decisions. And when you do that, you're going to start to see the beautiful order of God established in your life. We make so many mistakes when we rush, when we just push through things, and we waste money, we waste time, and we don't want to do that, particularly this year, because the stakes are too high. Praise God. Now, it is good to slow down and get these very sharp decisions especially in the area when making large purchases, costly things. Well, Pastor Steve, it's, it's okay. We'll just go ahead and buy it. Well, maybe you've noticed that if you do stuff like that, you're going to end up with what I would call just a bunch of clutter. And it's stuff that maybe you use a few times, but because the buying decision was rushed or it was done on an emotional high or something like that, whatever the reason uh, you didn't even get what you really wanted. Maybe you didn't even buy what you really needed. You just saw something else and you got it. And now because it's, it's not going to be used, it becomes clutter. And that clutter begins to spread everywhere. And you keep replicating that over and over. And now you've got a mess. You've got a mess. Slow down on those decisions. You know, I know a minister that uh, years back purchased a boat. I don't know. Maybe he thought it was going to be fun to have a boat. He bought a boat and put it in his garage. And the boat has not been out of the garage for 12 years. Oh, that, that's all right, Pastor Steve. Maybe one day he'll take it out. Yeah, he'll take it out and start the engine and the engine won't work. Because if you let it sit that long, and, and he has, he hasn't started it up, hasn't started the engine once, but it's sitting there in the garage. Now, now he can't even park his car in the garage. Why? The boat's in there. 
And so you can end up with all kinds of clutter, big, goofy pieces of clutter, small pieces of clutter. And uh, either way, it's things that represent decisions that were made out of order. Praise God. So start with the small things, because if you have a small mess and you don't fix it, and then promotion or increase comes, Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3, then you will find that somehow this, this mess just follows you, and it gets bigger. And you can't afford to do that with where you're going and the increase, the expansion that God's bringing into your life. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's see an example of the, of the way to do small things right. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, and let's go to verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. That would be referring to the Apostle John when he was a young man. Verse 16, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And, you know, Peter, uh, he, he's older and he's more daring, so he's not, uh, you know, afraid of a tomb or, or superstitious, maybe we should say in a sense. And he goes right in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Th those would be the clothes left behind by the resurrected Jesus. Verse 7, and their handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, some people uh, or theologians say that the, the linen cloth being folded, set over to the side, had, uh, you know, that could be interpreted as having spiritual meanings, a symbolic meaning by having done that, like a, Jew, a certain Jewish custom. And it was referring to something that we need to be mindful of. And I can understand there's different points of view on that. But let me say this, regardless of what it potentially prophetically could mean he took the time to stop and fold it and set it to the side oh not me pastor Stephen if I've been resurrected and I'm going to go out and I'm going to save the world I'm out of here let somebody else take care of that mm -mm, I'm not making my bed I've got things to do well you do have things to do and you do have great accomplishments in front of you but my friends if we if we miss it on the small things we will find a compilation, and the small things turn into medium things, and then the medium things into larger things. And before you know it, there's just uh, there's messiness all around us, and we can't have that. And so, making your bed is a great place to start in the morning. You know, many years back when I worked uh, with a plumbing company, we had all these parts, thousands maybe maybe even hundreds of thousands of parts everything from all these plastic fittings with one box holding you know maybe a thousand fittings you go to another box of a different type of a fitting a thousand there and just uh, rows of them just rows and rows of stuff like that so we had tons of parts and at the close of each day, because during the day, hands are going all through there with you know people trying to get parts to fix things at the close of the day, Wrong stuff has gotten in wrong boxes. So we would always close the day out by going past these boxes and quickly trying to work through them where to a degree what belongs in this box is there and people don't mix things up because they'll take it out of this one and look at it. That's oh, not the one I want. And they'll throw it over here. So we tried to fix that up. But one of the guys, he said, you know, I don't know why we do this. It's just going to all get messed up again. Well, what if we had that philosophy with our hair? Why should we comb our hair? It's just going to get messed up again. Why should we brush our teeth? They're just going to get dirty again. 
Why should we put on deodorant? It's just going to wear off again. And on and on you can go with that, but that's not the mindset that you want to have. You want order. You want order in your life. It makes everything easier. Can you say yes? Even if it's a small thing like folding the handkerchief before you leave. Praise God. Mm -mm. So order in small things. What's a small thing that surrounds you right now? Ladies, what about your purse? Is your purse in order? Men, how about your wallet? Is your wallet in order? Where are your keys kept at? Do you put them in the same place every time? Or do you constantly lose your keys because you can't remember where you last put them? Well, that can be fixed by having order. Every time you put the key down, the key goes here. It hangs on this thing right here. But by doing that, uh, you'll, you'll make your life easier because whenever there's stress, whenever there are these moments of difficulty, what happens is this. There is a convergence of other difficulties that all sweep in at the same time. Some people call it Murphy's Law. In other words, it's not just one thing that can potentially go wrong because we live in a fallen world. It's that, yes, that can happen, but why does it seem like when that happens, wait a minute, something else negative is coming from this direction too, something negative is coming from this direction too, and you throw all of that in the mix, and then you didn't put your keys there. Now suddenly with all this other stuff swirling around you that you weren't expecting that's of a negative element, wait a minute, where are my keys? And you need them because now you've got to be somewhere quickly, and you can't find your keys. You know, it's a true story that when the Titanic Hit it out on his maiden voyage, which was his first and last voyage. When it hit it out, they were going to be going through an area of known icebergs. Oh, oh, that's okay, Pastor Stephen. They have lookouts. Yes, they had two full-time lookouts that would be up in the crow's nest, the high point view, watching for icebergs. Oh, there's a problem. Uh, where are the binoculars? Where are the binoculars? Guess what? They couldn't find the key for the binoculars. They were, they're, the binoculars had been put away in a locker and locked, and nobody knew where the key was at. Where, uh, well, there was a former man that was uh, involved with the ship. At the last minute, they, they said, we're not going to have you sail on the Titanic. We're going to put you over on another ship. He was a worker for the White Star Line. And they said, You're, we're going to move you over here. He was the guy that had the key, and he had, he had kept, kept the key in his pocket. But they transitioned him from the Titanic over to this other ship so quickly, and that rush caused him to forget to take the key and hang it back on the hook where it always goes. The key was supposed to always hang in that one spot. And so when the ship pulls out, and they are, uh, the captain's going pretty quick because he wants to impress everybody uh, how fast a ship is. They want to set a new record. So they're going to kind of push it through the iceberg area. Oh, that's okay. We got lookouts. You got lookouts with no binoculars. Why? We don't know where the key is at. And so you see that uh, life has a way of throwing things at you quickly all of a sudden, all of a sudden. And if you don't have that order, you, you could hit the iceberg, and that's exactly what happened. They didn't see it. First of all, it's dark. It's at night. And, you know, it's just too hard to pick that up without the binoculars. And after the ship sunk to the bottom 
and over 1,500 people died. And then later, you know, there's a court case and, you know, there's lawsuits and stuff like that. And there was sworn testimony given about, hey, you know, if we would have had the key and we would have had the binoculars, this could potentially, the whole thing could have been avoided because we could have seen the iceberg. Well, those are things that only God knows from a sense of what could have been done to truly divert it. And I don't think we can place the blame of the sinking on the ship solely on the lack of not having binoculars. But was it a contributing factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm here to tell you today that if you have God's order in your temple, in your house, in your life, it will pay off for you when you need it most. And when it's working for you and you're moving smoothly ahead, trust me, you'll see others that are floundering. Why? They had no plans. They had no order. And while they're struggling to run and to move, you're sailing smoothly. Why? Well-ordered plans. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not. Now, I know uh, some people like chaos and confusion, but I'm just trying to tell you uh, that that's an area that needs healing. For God is not the author of confusion. Well, Pastor Stephen, I like sirens blaring, and I like shotguns going off, and I like chaos, and I like, no, I like war descending, and I like, no, no. No, uh, that, that's not a conducive environment for any good thing to take place in. And those that are in the military, those that are in special forces, know that when you go into war, you're going into chaos. You're going into a lot of unknown elements. And so the, the more order you have and you're all on the same page, the safer you're going to be. Because when all of that starts flying and everything starts going crazy, what holds you together is a well-ordered team. Praise the Lord. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I don't like disorder. In my closet, I like the jeans in this section. I like the t-shirts in this section. I like the other type of shirts over here. I like the suits over here, the dress pants over here, the tie, the ties over in a different segment. And I like order. I don't like confusion. I, I don't like pulling open the sock drawer. And, you know, there's, you know, 1500 pairs of socks. And uh, I'm so confused that all I can do is just wear the same pair over and over again, because you, you hit overload. No, I like order. I like it all there. I can see what I've got. And it's easy to make the decision. Praise God. It is time, my friends, to put God's order in your life. Now, verse 40, let all things, let all things, your purse, your closet, your garage, hallelujah, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, now, Pastor Stephen, the context here is referring to spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues in a public assembly and having the proper order, the, the supernatural protocol uh, of order for uh, tongues and interpretation. Yes, I understand that. But uh, you have to understand also, while we want order in the house of God, 
We want order in the church. We want order in the temple. You also are in a mystical way, the temple of God and God lives on the inside of you. And so we look at the fullness of this scripture. Let all things, all things be done decently and in order, not just when you're in church, because you don't live your life in church. You don't live your life at the house of God. You have other areas, other times when you're doing other things, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, before I came into the ministry and was more uh, intentionally raised up in ministry, even before that, I had served another minister for about two years, traveled with him, and uh, basically, in a sense, carried his briefcase when he went to meetings and, and he would travel and preach. I would go with him. At the same time, while I did not know Kelly at that time, because she's living in another state and so forth, we, we didn't know each other. She's serving a, a woman minister. And later, when I would move to the state she lived in, which was California, I was able to meet the lady that uh, my, my wife Kelly was serving. Now, we went to a larger church, and we we're under the pastoral covering of that pastor. But this church was an apostolic church, and there were many ministries, uh, many full-time ministers that uh, had that church as their home base. And so one of these full-time ministers... My wife was working for her, was serving her. And so Kelly would drive this minister to the meetings that she would go to. And she had meetings all over the place. And she spoke in some of the largest churches in America. And she had a good ministry. And while she was having a good ministry, she never, though, reached what I, I, I just, I thought, I wonder why she's not breaking out. She, she has a really good anointing. She has a, a, a good message that she teaches she comes in prepared with the message, but where is she missing it at? Because something, something always kind of seems a little bit off. Well, I couldn't put my finger on it, but as time went by, I was clearly able to see what it was. I went over to her house one time. Me and Kelly were over at her house. Her husband was there. And uh, this woman of God, she said to me, she said, Brother Stephen, please go into my garage. You'll have to look around for it, but there's this certain item I need. Uh, grab it and bring it to me. Well, she had a, she had a larger home. She had a three-car garage. And so I was inside the house, so I'd never been in a garage before. And uh, I walked through the kitchen area. There's a little side area. And then you open that door, it takes you into the garage. And when I opened the door to the garage and turned the lights on, I saw something that I've never seen anything like it since. Uh, I've never seen anything like it since. I saw the most uh, confusing garage ever. The whole garage, three-car garage, was packed full of stuff. I saw trash bags full of stuff. I saw couches. I saw chairs, sofas, tables. I saw anything and everything you could think of thrown in there. Uh, most of it was turned upside down. I saw big lazy boy recliners turned upside down. There were there was like a motorcycle in there with stuff thrown all over it. There was and it was packed all the way to the ceiling, wall to wall. From the floor to the ceiling, jam-packed a three-car garage with nothing but clutter. It was the most confusing, chaotic thing I ever saw. And I, I said, um, I said uh, I'm having trouble finding the item that you're looking for. She said, well, it might take you a while to find it. I thought, yeah, it probably is. 
And, you know, then I began to see that while she had a great presentation before the people, this woman of God did, behind the scenes, behind the scenes in her normal life, because remember, you don't live behind a pulpit as a minister, behind uh, the scenes in her real life, there were some, um, I would say, highly developed levels of disorder. Um, I would even call it confusion. And so that's why, although she had a true anointing, a true calling, uh, I, I just don't think she's ever reached her, um, the, the fullness of what God had for her, which I, I thought clearly would be a global type ministry, an international type ministry. But it never, it, um, I think her and her husband moved and it never got out of the state. Um, pretty much a very, very small localized type ministry, which, which is, you know, there's a lot of honor in that if that's what God has called you to, but she had a calling that was way beyond that. But, um, when, when she would try to prophesy, sometimes she would, she would force and rush the prophecy and she could get a little bit close because there's an anointing, but it would always be off because she's rushing it. So she could pick up on some things, but then turn it the wrong way because, uh, it seemed like everything was rushed and uh, everything had a little bit of an edge of, uh, you'd have to look very carefully to see it, but almost like of chaos. And anytime you see that, God's not in it. God's not in it. So we have to remember, while we want outward excellence, it begins with us. It begins with the temple. And as Solomon had that temple, I mean, in order, it was in top order. That is a representation of our lives as we host the Holy Spirit, and He lives on the inside of us. Praise God. Very quickly, one more scripture. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Well, verse, uh, verse 4 is important because Paul said to Titus, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. So he is a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul. So Paul has trained him, has taught him the Word of God, has, uh, you know, uh, shared uh, and release that apostolic grace towards this precious man. And then in verse 5, for this reason, I, the Apostle Paul, left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, when it says, I left you in Crete, that is the same Greek word when he mentioned that he had left his cloak and some books, and he wanted those brought to him. In other words, it was a temporary leaving, not an abandoning. So he has assigned Titus to minister to the Christian people. And this is not a permanent apostolic post for him, but Paul's got him there now to accomplish something special. What is that? To put in order in the church leadership and to establish doctrine within the church. Praise God. And he was the man for the assignment because he had the anointing to do that because he has been mentored under Paul the Apostle himself. That you should set in order the things that are lacking. Well, it's a little bit humorous, but honestly, there would have to be a lot of things lacking amongst these believers. Why? Where they're, they're from Crete. And even their own poets, their own people, had written stories in humor about how much the, Crete, the Cretan people were liars, were gluttons, were just lazy. And all that, that was just part of their culture. So when you have a culture like that, that has no respect 
for time that has no respect for order, then you're going to have to come in and teach them that. And no, you can't say, you know what, I'm taking all of you and I'm going to, I'm going to send you all off to the military. I can't handle you. You're going to go to the military and I'm going to enlist you into the Marines and they're going to teach you order. I'm going to put you in the army. <laughs> you can finally learn, learn order. I can get you out of my hair. No, that's not the solution. The solution is get somebody in there that understands apostolic order, the way God's kingdom operates. And begin to teach them and train them and look for those that can lead, appoint them as elders in the church, make sure they meet these various qualifications, and let's get the church up and running in a strong and stable way. And that works around the order that comes within the kingdom of God. Praise God. There's many, many levels of order, and it's something that it's not optional. If you want to go to the top, it's going to be necessary, very necessary. And the higher you go, the more structured it has to become. I was privileged to know and still do a world leading evangelist. And he told the, the funny story one time of when he was in a very large meeting when he was real young. He was real young and uh, he was actually really not that much into the things of God. He did love the Lord. He did know that God had a calling on his life, but his mother had been a prayer warrior ever since he was a child. And he was like her Samuel. She was like a Hannah. She had pleaded for a, a child, a son that God could give her through her husband and that they could raise this boy up and he would preach all over the world. And so that was going to be his destiny, like it or not. Well, he's growing up and he realizes that. So, you know, he's open to that and he does love the Lord. So he's sitting in a meeting one time, a large meeting, thousands of people in the meeting. And one of the most world's best known ministers was speaking and he stopped right in the middle of the service and began to prophesy to this man that I know that has gone on to become this great evangelist. And he said to him, the prophetic word was something along this line. My son, from your youth, I've called you and you're going to basically travel the nations and you're going to you're going to win the lost many lost. and You'll have a international ministry that reaches around the world. And it was a, it was a spectacular word spoken under the anointing by a seasoned international minister that everybody in the church knows. Well, my friend, he got all excited. He thought, whoa, praise the Lord. I'm going to be an international minister. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was all excited. And then as soon as the service ended, uh, which was just a few minutes after that, another prophet, another prophet came over to him in person. Now, this prophet was in the, uh, in the service. He came to him uh, in person, to my friend uh, in person, and gave a private personal prophecy that uh, my friend told me about. Pastor Stephen, we, we know the public prophecy. What was the private prophecy? Well, he said the private prophecy was this. You're going to have to get your life in order. And my friend said, this prophet began to prophesy so accurately to him. He, he said, now, how did he know about all those French fries from McDonald's that I spilt in the backseat of my car? He had all kinds of things out of order. The car was out of order. You know, even if you have an old car, even maybe if it's a clunker, if you'll just wash it and vacuum it and keep it clean. It can look honorable, praise the Lord. Maybe, maybe somebody will look at it and think, ooh, look at that beautiful classic car. You know, the thing is, is we, if we just implement order into our lives, 
Things will go so much smoother. Why? Because it's an aspect of God's wisdom. Mm-mm. So my, my friend said, you know what? It was then that I realized after both prophecies, not just one, not just a grandiose prophecy like Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2 and 3, but this other area, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tighten up in this area. Praise God. And he, he did. This minister who went on to have his own world-renowned ministry and still does, he's sharp. He's one of the sharpest ministers I know. Everything is sharp. Everything about his life is excellence. Praise the Lord. He will not tolerate anything less than that within his own life, within uh, what represents his ministry. Why? Because it's, he's an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you see disorder and you see chaos, that does not represent the Lord. That represents the fallen world system. And we know who's behind that. Praise God. My friends, right now the Holy Spirit is working to identify critical areas in your life that must be addressed where there is disorder. Praise God. Mm-mm. And the Lord wants you to go to work on it with great zeal and make it right. Praise the Lord. Make it right. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you can't go around putting other people's lives in order, but you can put in order what is under your control, what is under your authority, and the area that you have been given to govern over. Praise God. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody that's watching that is anticipating a breakout year of Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3, of great expansion and increase. I pray, Father, that as your Spirit is moving upon their hearts right now, that they will begin to implement greater levels of order and structure in their life, that as the temple of Solomon was looked at with such admiration because everything was so well ordered, I pray, Father, that the life of the person watching right now will be transformed into that same level of excellent glory. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that even others would look at their lives and say, wow, everything is so in place in your life and in what God has called you to do. How do you do it? How do you do it? And Father, we thank you for opportunities to witness about you and the principles of your word. Now, Father, we thank you for showing these areas that we can do better in. We thank you for grace. We thank you there's no condemnation in Christ. But we thank you also, Father, you don't want to leave us where we're at. You want to take us from glory to glory, strength to strength, order to even greater levels of order. Now, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, let your grace for apostolic order be released now. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. If you're watching, I'm kind of smiling because I know the Holy Spirit showing you those exact areas. It could be something physical. It could be uh, the temple itself that maybe you think, I need, to, I need to work on this. It could be something physical. It could be something in, your, in, in the soul area. It could be something in the uh, spiritual area. It could be something very much in the natural area. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. 
Glory to God. But the Holy Spirit's highlighting that right now. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, your life may have natural order in it, but your spiritual life is out of order. And outside of Christ, you are in the kingdom of darkness. Well, God made provision for man's salvation through His Son. And by putting your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life is put in divine order and your sins can be forgiven. Hallelujah. If you would like to cross right now from spiritual death in the spiritual life, pray this prayer after me. Say, Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I know that Jesus died for me at Calvary. Oh God, I am a sinner. Save me right now. Jesus, wash away all of my sins with your precious blood and give me your new life. Thank you, Jesus. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Lord. I receive you now. I take you now, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. My friends, God has heard that prayer. He has answered that prayer, and you now belong to Him. And keep walking with Him and obeying His Word and His principles in His Word, and your life will be well ordered. Praise God. Hallelujah. It was the Lord's will for you to hear this message today. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. My wife and I were ministering to a man one time, and we asked him what his name was, and his name was Steps. S-T-E-P-S. And uh, we said, well, your steps, steps, your steps are ordered of the Lord. Praise God. We were able to pray for him and minister to him. So God's got it all mapped out. And you're going to finish it. You're going to cross the finish line because it's well ordered. Praise the Lord. Today, let's take Holy Communion together. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. Praise God. And I would like to read a verse to you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Pastor Stephen, I, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I don't know everything I'm supposed to do. Just by being saved and the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, all of the laws of God, those things are written on the inside of you, and the Holy Spirit, trust me, He knows them all, and He is on the inside of you basically directing you. This is right. This is wrong. Go this way. Keep following the Lord. Praise God. And we thank God that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Then He adds, their sins and their iniquities, their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission or the taking away of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Praise God. Well, we don't need the Old Testament sacrificial system where we are constantly sacrificing innocent animals to have their blood temporarily cover our sins. We have a new high priest. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and His sacrifice was the propitiation for our sins. The covering over and the taking away fully of all of our sins. 
And we are told that the Lord remembers our sins and iniquities no more, that he throws them into the very bottom of the depths of the sea. Mm -hmm. Praise God. God does not remember your sins or keep your sins against you. He forgets them. He forgives them. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, as we take communion today, let's be mindful of that. Father, as we receive the bread and the juice, we bless it and consecrate it. We set it apart as holy through this prayer. And as we receive it, it is now the body and the blood of Christ, our Savior. Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we thank you for order being established in our lives. A life that is pleasing to you. A life that has plans that are understood concerning your direction and your path for our life. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, who is helping us even right now to put things in order in the right sequence of events. We give you praise for helping us to prioritize our decision making. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's receive now the body of the Lord Jesus. I see you removing the clutter from your life. And I see you also making decisions. If you haven't touched it or you haven't used it in five or seven or ten years, you're never going to touch it again. You're never going to use it. Why not be a blessing to somebody? Why not sow that into the life of somebody else that could use it, that would appreciate it, and it would have a special meaning to? These things will be considered, praise God. The Holy Spirit is working. Praise the Lord. Because some, there are some things that you have, perhaps they have uh special value, but it's never being used. It's locked away or put away. Never will be. Maybe it's even forgotten about. Well, we need to pray about removing the clutter. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for complete forgiveness of sins. Even our sins, you wash away and you remember them no more. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes it possible. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, my friends, I believe today's message can be applied in some certain area, even if it's a small area, and you tackle that. The moment you do, and the moment you put that in order, you know what's going to happen? Joy will come into your life. Why? Because by establishing order, you are creating the atmosphere that makes you happy. And an atmosphere that brings happiness is an atmosphere of order. Praise the Lord. And all kinds of good things flow out of that. Creativity, brilliant ideas, thoughts from God are picked up on. Praise the Lord. And that's the realm, that's the world that you want to live in. Heavenly Father, bless your people with the life of order let their life be like the temple that Solomon built, well-ordered, everything about it well-ordered. And we thank you, O God, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We give you praise. Bless your people. Bless your people with a well-ordered life in Jesus' name. We all agree and say amen and amen. Thank you for watching. I'll see you back next time.